Now, this past Monday, this past Monday, shortly before 1 o'clock p.m., there was a, a serious accident on Interstate 465 here in Indianapolis. And this accident had actually shut the interstate down for several hours. You may have seen it uh, on the news. You may have heard about it. Maybe you were even stuck in the traffic that it created. This past Monday, just before 1 o'clock, there was a, a semi-truck that was being driven on the, the eastbound side of Interstate 465, right by the I-69 interchange. And one of that truck's tires blew out, which caused the driver to lose control of the truck. Uh, the truck hit a jersey wall, rolled over, and then bro uh, burst into flames. Uh, three people were inside of the truck, and the driver's side door was, was pinned uh, shut, and so they couldn't get out the driver's side door, but they were all able to escape and climb out of the passenger door. When the Indianapolis Fire Department arrived on the scene, it took the firefighters nearly 30 minutes to extinguish the flames. That's how bad the fire was. Later in the day, the fire department, they posted some pictures of the crash, and you can see those pictures on the screen behind me, and when you look at what was left of that truck, you might just shake your head and say, you know, how could anybody walk away from that alive, let alone three people? Now, when the fire department posted these pictures on social media, they included a caption that said, the three people are lucky to be alive. Some of the news outlets picked up on that phrase and used it as their headline, lucky to be alive. The fire department, the media, they attributed the survival of those three people who were in the truck to luck. Now, I hear that quite often. Okay? I hear that quite often when something good happens to somebody. I hear people say, well, boy, they were lucky, or luck was on their side. Have you heard people say that before? Or what about good luck or wish me luck? If you just listen to the way people in our culture talk, you might think that this entity known as luck is responsible for all of the good that happens in the world. In a recent survey of 1,000 Americans, 72% said that they believe luck is at least partially responsible for the good things that have happened to them. 10% say that luck is the most important factor in their success. And then there was another survey that was done. And in this survey, 24% of Americans admitted to carrying some kind of lucky charm with them at least part of the time. Maybe it's a lucky coin or a lucky shirt a lucky piece of jewelry, maybe it's a horseshoe. And it's not just Americans who carry lucky charms. Uh, in England, 23% of the people carry them. In Ireland, it's 38% of the people that carry some kind of lucky charm. And if you ever forget to take your lucky charm with you, you could always, you could always cross your fingers for good luck. It's been documented for over 100 years that people have been doing that to get good luck on their side. Is luck really responsible for all of the good that happens in this world? Should luck get all of the glory for all of the good that happens to us? If you listen to our culture, you, you might be inclined to think that the answer is yes. But if you look at what the Bible says, then you will know that the answer is no. So if luck is not the source of all that is good in the world, then what is or who is? Well, the Bible answers that question for us. The Bible tells us that God is the source of all that is good in this world. In James 1.17, the Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. 
And in Psalm 16, verse 2, David says, I have no good apart from you, Lord. God is the source of all that is good in this world. And if God is the source of all that is good in this world, that means God should get all the glory for all that is good. When we attribute the good things that happen in this world, when we attribute them to luck, we rob God of the glory that he deserves. God is the source of all that is good in the world. God is the source of all the good things that happen to us. And so God should get all the glory. Now, as we continue our study on the book of Acts this morning, we're going to talk about giving God all the glory for all the good that happens to us. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to take it out, open it up to Acts chapter 3. If you're, new, if you're new here to City View Church, we are studying through the books of Acts right now. Uh, we're working our way through it from beginning to end. Uh, and we do that because here at City View Church, we, de- uh, we value God's Word, and we devote ourselves to studying it by studying through books of the Bible. Now, last week, we finished up looking at Acts chapter 2, which was about how the very first church in the world was formed and how it honored God. This was the church in Jerusalem, and if you remember, it was formed on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and filled the followers of Jesus there. And one of the statements that we saw that Luke made about this church at the end of Acts chapter 2 was this. Luke said that many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That's what Luke told us in chapter 2 verse 43. What Luke's going to do now in chapter 3 is he's going to give us an example of one of those wonders and signs that were being done through the apostles. In chapter 3, Luke's going to tell us in detail about a miracle that God did through the apostle Peter. He's going to tell us how God used Peter to, to heal a paralyzed man. And what we're going to see as we look at this miracle is that God gets all the glory for this good thing that was done. So I'll be reading Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Out of honor and respect for God's word, if you are able to, would you please stand as I read the Holy Scriptures to us? I'm going to read in Acts chapter 3. I'll start at verse 1 and read through verse 10. This is what God's holy and inspired word says. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that your word is true. And I ask that you open our eyes to see great and wonderful things in your word this morning. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Now, twice in this passage, twice, once in verse 8 and then again in verse 9, Luke tells us that this paralyzed man praised God after he was healed. The man didn't say that it was his lucky day. The man didn't even praise Peter. 
even though Peter played a very important role in that healing. No, what we see in this passage is that the man gives all the glory to God for the good thing that happened to him. Now, as we talk about this passage, the main point that I want to make today is this. Because God is the source of all that is good in the world, we should give God all the glory for all the good that happens in our lives. Okay, God is the source of all that is good in the world, so we should give God all the glory for all the good that happens in our lives. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, how do we do that? How do we give God all the glory for all the good that happens in our lives? Well, the way we do that, the way we give God all the glory is we praise God. We praise God just like this man who was healed praised God. Now, what I want to do is I want to answer a very specific question for you today. When something good happens in our lives, what should we praise God for? What should we praise God for? Obviously, we can praise God for the outcome. But I think that we can and I think that we should praise God for more than that. As we look at the passage today, I'm going to point out two aspects of God's involvement in the affairs of this world for which we should praise him when something good happens in our lives. The first one is this. When something good happens in our lives, we should praise God for orchestrating the opportunity for it to happen. When something good happens in our lives, we should praise God for orchestrating the opportunity for it to happen. You see, God is not only the source of all that is good in this world, God is also sovereign. He's sovereign over all the world. That means God is in control of all things. And it means that God is always able to bring his, pl his plan to pass. So when something good happens in our lives, it happens because God planned for that good thing to happen. And it happens because God arranged the circumstances in our lives so that the right people would be in the right place at the right time so that good thing could happen. In the first two verses here in Acts chapter 3, we see God orchestrating an opportunity for a good thing to happen in this lame man's life. On this particular day that's described in Acts chapter 3, there were two groups of people that were heading up to the temple at the same time. In verse 1, we're told that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Peter and John were two of Jesus' apostles. And in the scriptures, we often see them doing things together. Well, here we're told that Peter and John were going up to the temple together at the hour of prayer, which was the ninth hour. Back in these days, the Jewish people would gather at the temple in Jerusalem to pray at certain times every day. One of those times was the ninth hour of the day. This was also one of the, the times when the Jewish people would offer a daily sacrifice to God. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I told you that the Jewish day started at 6 a.m. So if the Jewish day starts at 6 a.m. and this is the ninth hour, that means it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So Peter and John, they're heading up to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, they may have been going there to pray. It's also possible that they were going up to the temple to tell people about Jesus. After all, Jesus commanded his, his apostles to be his witnesses, and there would have been a lot of people at the temple at this time of the day, and those people would have been interested in honoring God and, and pleasing God and knowing God. So the temple would have been a perfect place for them to engage people in spiritual conversations and point them to Jesus. Now, whether they were going there to the temple to pray or to witness, Luke tells us in verse 1 that Peter and John were heading up to the temple. 
And as they're heading up to the temple, in verse 2, we're told about another group that was heading up to the temple. In verse 2, Luke tells us about another group that was going up to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Luke tells us that there was a group of people who was carrying a lame man to the temple. A man who was lame from birth. That means he was paralyzed from the time that he was born. In chapter 4, we'll learn that this man was more than 40 years old. So for 40 years of this man's life, he had not been able to take a single step. And so this group was carrying the man up to the temple. And they weren't carrying him there to pray. They were carrying him so that he could beg. Because this man couldn't walk, he couldn't get a job back in that culture to support himself. So he had to beg for money to survive. And that's what he did every day. Verse 2 says that daily, that means every day, daily this group of people was carrying the lame man up to the temple and they laid him beside the beautiful gate. There's about 10 entrances into the temple courts and one of those was referred to as the beautiful gate. So this group would lay the lame man by the beautiful gate every day so that he could ask for alms. That's another way of saying beg for money. So every day they laid this man at the beautiful gate so that he could beg for money, so that he could ask for alms from the people who were coming to the temple to pray. The man probably figured out that people going to the temple to pray were more likely to give money than other people. It's probably true because you see the rabbis, they would teach the Jewish people that there were three pillars to their faith. The first one was obeying the Torah, which is the law that's recorded in the Old Testament. The second pillar was worshiping God. And the third pillar of their faith that the rabbis taught was showing kindness or charity to others. And so the Jewish people, they were taught that, that giving alms, giving money to the poor, they were taught that this is one of the, the primary ways that they could show their devotion to God. Now the people who were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, remember they were also going there because a sacrifice was being offered. And that was being offered in obedience to the Torah. And as they would go there for the sacrifice and as they would go to the pray, they were worshiping God. So that meant that if they gave some money to the poor people who would sit at the gates, either on their way in or on their way out, they could hit the trifecta. They could cover all three pillars of their faith with one trip to the temple. This man knew that. He figured it out. And so that's why he had his friends or his family carry him to the temple every day to ask for money. So he would sit there with a cup, and as people walked in and out, he would say, alms, alms, in hopes that the people would put some money into his cup. That's what's going on in verse 3 when Luke tells us that this man saw Peter and John as they were about to go into the temple, and he asked for alms. As Peter and John are walking past, he's holding out his cup saying, alms, alms. And in verse 4, we see that the man caught Peter and John's attention. God ensured that that this man was sitting in just the right place and that he spoke with just the right volume at just the right time to capture Peter and John's attention. There would have been a lot of hustle and bustle in the temple at this time. Everybody's coming for the hour of prayer. They're coming for the sacrifice. It would have been easy for Peter and John to just walk right on past and not really even notice this man. But God arranged for Peter and John to notice him on this particular day because God had a plan to do something good on this particular day. God had a plan to use Peter to miraculously heal the lame man. 
The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.10 that God has a plan to do good things through each and every one of us. And since God is sovereign, he will ensure that his plan will come to pass. So God will orchestrate the opportunities in our lives for those good things to happen. This day that we're reading about in Acts chapter 3, it's a perfect example of that. God was orchestrating all the events on this day so that Peter and John would cross paths with this lame man at this particular time. So that means if Peter and John were on their way up to the temple and if Peter's sandal became untied and he had to stop for a minute to tie it, that little inconvenience, that was a part of God's plan to ensure that Peter was in the right place at the right time. Or if John ran into an old friend as they were on their way up to the temple and he stopped to talk for a few minutes, that interruption was a part of God's plan. It was a part of God's plan to make sure Peter and John were in the right place at the right time. Or if the group that was carrying the lame man, if they said, hey, hey we, need to, we need to drop you off a few minutes early today because, you know, something came up and, you know, we've got to attend to it. So, so we're going to drop you off, you know, 15 minutes early today. Well, that, that change in plans, that change in their schedule, that would have been a part of God's plan to ensure that the lame man was in the right place at the right time. You see, what we need to realize when we have interruptions and when we have changes in our schedule, when we have inconveniences, these are things that God is using to orchestrate the events and the circumstances in our lives so that the right people will be in the right place at the right time to bring about the good things that God has planned. So what that means is that this man couldn't say that it was his lucky day after he was healed. He couldn't say that it was his lucky day because God was the one who arranged for him and Peter to be in the right place at the right time to cross paths. It wasn't luck that brought them together. It wasn't chance that brought them together. It wasn't fate that brought them together. It was God who brought them together. God's the one who arranged for Peter and John to cross paths with the lame man on this particular day at this particular time. God orchestrated the opportunity for a good thing to happen. The New York City Marathon is always held on the first Sunday of November every year. And it's one of the biggest and most prestigious running races in the world. Well, five years ago, on November 4th, 2018, the New York City Marathon was taking place as usual. And on this particular day, there were 52,000 runners who were registered for the race. And they all gathered at the starting line and prepared to run this 26.2-mile race that winds its way all through the five boroughs of the city. 52,000 people, that's a lot of people. I've run some races with 25,000 people, and that was a lot. I can't imagine running a race with 52,000 people. But that's typical for the New York City Marathon, and that's how many were running back in 2018. And on this particular day, November 4th, 2018, one of the people who was running that race was a 41-year-old lady from Minnesota named Christy Elfring. Another one of the people running the race on that day was a 59-year-old man from New York named Ted Strange. Christy and Ted were complete strangers. They didn't know each other, had never met before, probably, probably didn't even know each other existed. It was a perfect day for a marathon. Sun was shining, there was no wind, temperatures in the mid-40s, perfect conditions for a marathon. And so the race starts and everybody takes off. 
And about two and a half hours into the race, Christy and her friend that she was running with, her friend's name was Victory, Christy and Victory, they crossed the 16-mile mark about two and a half hours into the race. Ted was just a couple steps behind them. And everything was going great for Christy, for Victory, for Ted. 16 miles down, 10 to go. But right after they crossed the 16-mile mark, Christy said to her friend Victory, she said, I don't feel good. All of a sudden, I just don't feel good. And before Victory could even respond to that, her friend Christy dropped to the ground from a heart attack. Now, Ted, remember, he's just a, a few steps behind. Ted happens to be a doctor. So within seconds, he was there and able to perform CPR. But the CPR wasn't working. Now, there was a police officer standing just a few yards away. And he had a defibrillator in his car, which was parked right next to him. So he was able to grab that defibrillator and run it over to Ted, and Ted was able to apply that to Christy and use it to revive her. It took four shocks, but eventually Christy's heart started beating again, and she survived the heart attack. And she's alive today because the right people were in the right place at the right time. You see, God had a plan to use Dr. Ted to save Christy's life that day, so God orchestrated the opportunity for him to do that. God arranged for Dr. Ted to be just a few steps behind Christy when she had the heart attack. And God arranged for the police officer to be in that particular place with his defibrillator. Now, I read about this incident on CBS News' website. And I want you to listen to whom or to what they give all the glory. First, when Christy collapsed, the article says, that's when Dr. Ted fatefully ran by. And then it goes on to say, if fate hadn't brought Christy and Ted together that day, the outcome could have been much worse. Twice in the article, twice in the article, the author says that it was fate that was responsible for bringing Dr. Ted and Christy together at that particular place at that particular time. I've got news for, C I've got news for CBS. It wasn't fate that brought them together. Fate had nothing to do with this. God had everything to do with Dr. Ted being right there just as Christy had that heart attack. God had everything to do with the police officer being just a few yards away with his defibrillator. God is in control of all things. And it was God's plan to work through Dr. Ted on that day to save Christy's life. God orchestrated the opportunity for him to do that. So God gets all the glory. Now when something good happens in your life, when something good happens to you, don't say that it was your lucky day. Don't say that it was fate that brought it about. That robs God of the glory that he deserves. Our God is a sovereign God. He's a God who's in control of all things. He's the source of all that is good. He's the source of every good thing that happens to you. So when something good happens in your life, give God all the glory. God's the one who orchestrated the opportunity for that to happen. He's the one who ensured the right people were in the right place at the right time. He's the one who ensured the circumstances were just right for that good thing to happen. So when a good thing happens in your life, you can praise God for the outcome. But don't forget to praise him for orchestrating the opportunity. Now when something good happens... Not only should we praise God for orchestrating the opportunity, the second thing we can praise him for is granting the grace for it to happen. 
When something good happens in our lives, we should praise God for granting the grace for this good thing to happen. God is the source of all that is good, and he's a sovereign God. But you know what else? He's also a gracious God. We don't deserve anything good from God. We're not capable of doing anything good apart from God. We are sinful creatures with sinful natures who have rebelled against our holy God. If anything good happens to us, it's only because of God's grace. If we do anything good, it's only because of God's grace. I touched on this earlier, but God has a plan to do good things through people. His plan to do good things in the world, and, and usually his plan is to do those good things through people. On this day that we read about in Acts chapter 3, God had a plan to heal the lame man. That's a good thing. And what we see is that God planned to bring that about by working through Peter. At the end of verse 4, Peter tells the lame man to look at him, and the lame man gets his hopes up. In verse 5, it says that he fixed his attention on Peter and John, expecting to receive something from them. The man thought that he was going to get some money from Peter and John. In reality, he was about to get something far better than money. He was about to get something that money couldn't buy. He was about to get healing from God. In verse 6, Peter says to the layman who is looking intently at him, he says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Verse 6 is the key verse to this entire passage. Verse 6 is the key verse in the entire passage because it tells us that it wasn't Peter's power that healed this man. It was God's power. Peter told the man to rise up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, in a biblical sense, a name is far more than an identifier. In a biblical sense, a name is an extension of a person's being and personality. Now, Jesus Christ, he's fully man. He's also fully God. That means he possesses all of God's power. So when Peter told the man to rise up and walk in the name of Jesus, he was letting everyone know that it was God's power that was healing this man. And just to make sure that everyone knew that it was God who healed this man and not Peter, look at what Luke says in verse 7 and 8. He says, And Peter took the man by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with Peter and John, walking and leaping and praising God. This man who had been paralyzed for more than 40 years, he was instantly healed. He, he had never taken a step in his entire life. And immediately he was walking and leaping. There was no recovery time. There was no, no learning how to walk. There was no, no doctors involved, no therapists involved. Immediately, he went from never having been able to take a step in his life to walking and leaping. One of my former bosses at the college that I used to teach at, he worked as a surgeon in Africa before he got into teaching here in the U.S. And he's a Christian, and he knew that whenever he operated on a patient and there was a good outcome, he knew that it was God graciously working through him. But my boss said one of the biggest challenges he faced in that role 
is, is that so many people wanted to give him all the glory for their good outcome, for their healing, or for their loved one's healing. He said so many people treated him like he was God. And so over and over and over again, he would have to explain to people that he didn't have the power to heal, that only God has the power to heal. And over and over and over again, he would have to explain to people that it was God who, who graciously granted him the ability to do the things that he was doing to help them get better. And that if there was a good outcome, it was only because God was graciously working through him. Now, if God had sent a doctor to this lame man at the beautiful gate, if he, if he had sent a team of, of nurses and therapists, and if they operated on the man, and if they put him through several months of physical therapy, and if they worked with him, and maybe after a few months to a year, he started to take some baby steps, some wobbly steps, and then after a few more months, they got to the point where, where he could take a little jump, and then maybe a couple years down the road, he could leap. If it happened like that, the man may have given the doctor and the therapist and the rest of that medical team all the glory for his healing. But God took that option off the table. He sent an uneducated fisherman to grab this man by the hand and lift him up. And immediately, instantly, the man was walking and leaping. There was no doubt about it in this guy's mind who healed him. This guy knew that it was God who healed him. That's why when he gets up, he starts praising God. I told you already that we see that in verse 8 and in verse 9, that this man was praising God. He didn't call it his lucky day. He didn't even praise Peter. He praised God and gave God all the glory. In verse 10, Luke tells us that all the bystanders who witnessed this miracle, they were filled with wonder and amazement. The people who saw this, this healing, they couldn't believe what had taken place. And what we'll see next week when we start looking at verses 11 through 16 is that Peter makes sure that everybody understands that it was God who healed this man. In verses 11 to 16, Peter gives all the glory to God because Peter knows that this only happened because God graciously worked through him. So both the lame man and Peter, they both give God all the glory because they knew that this healing only came about as a result of God granting his grace. Now, if you're a football fan, and even if you're not a football fan, you may have heard about and you may remember what happened to DeMar Hamlin back in January. Right? DeMar Hamlin plays defense for the Buffalo Bills. And on January 2nd in a game against the Bengals, he was trying to make a tackle, and the guy's helmet hit him at a certain point in his chest, at a certain point in his heart rhythm that caused him to go into cardiac arrest. And immediately the Bills' training staff was there attending to him, and they were able to revive him. He was taken to the hospital and spent several days in the intensive care unit. Now forget about his football career. DeMar Hamlin's very life was hanging in the balance. For a few days, no one knew if DeMar would live or if he would die. But he survived, and he got stronger. And remarkably, within a few weeks, he made a full recovery. He's actually back on the team, and he played all three preseason games for the Bills this year just seven months after he was laying on the field in Cincinnati with no heartbeat. Now, just the other day, I was uh, looking at some things online, and I, I saw an interview that DeMar Hamlin did with Michael Strahan from ABC News. 
Michael Strahan, he's a former NFL player himself, he asked DeMar about his remarkable recovery. Michael asked DeMar, he says, why do you think your recovery is so remarkable? Do you know what DeMar Hamlin said in response to that question? First and foremost, it's God. DeMar is super thankful for the Bills training staff for the staff that took care of him that day on the field. He's super thankful for the, for the staff in the hospitals that took care of him during his recovery. And he often publicly expresses his thankfulness for them. But DeMar Hamlin understands first and foremost that God gets all the glory for his recovery. And he knows that God gets all the glory because he knows that it was only by God's grace that the Bill's training staff and the hospital staffs were able to do the good things that they did to save his life. Now, what's cool about this story is that over the summer, DeMar Hamlin had the opportunity to present the Buffalo Bills training staff with the Pat Tillman Award for Service at the annual ESPY Award Show. Okay, if you don't know the world of sports, the ESPYs are like the Oscars. Okay, it's the big annual award show for all things that take place in the world of sports. And Every year there's a, an award given for an act of service within the sports world. It's named after Pat Tillman who gave his life. He left the, left the NFL to join the Army and gave his life in service to this country. And so DeMar had the chance to present this award to the Buffalo Bills training staff this past summer. And I was flipping through the channels. I had no idea this was even on. I was flipping through and I just happened to stumble across it just as it was about to happen. So I stopped and I watched. I wanted to see how this played out. And it was really encouraging. So the head athletic trainer for the Bills, he's a guy named Nate Bresky. He accepted the service award from DeMar on behalf of the entire Bills training staff. And when DeMar handed him the award, Nate stepped up to the microphone to, to give an acceptance speech. This is how he started off his speech. He said, by the grace of God and by divine intervention, we had the best outcome that we could have prayed for or imagined by the grace of God. Nate Bresky gave all the glory to God for DeMar's recovery. He went on, he acknowledged the incredible staff that works for him, but he first gave all the glory to God because he realizes that it was God who graciously granted him and his staff the ability to do the things that they did on that night. Both DeMar Hamlin and Nate Bresky gave God all the glory for his recovery. And they both gave God all the glory because they both know that it only came about as a result of God granting his grace. God is the source of all that is good in this world. So what that means is that we too should give God all the glory for every good thing that happens in our lives. If something good happens to you, like it did for the lame man or like it did for DeMar Hamlin... Give God all the glory for that. That good thing is a result of God granting you his grace. God may have worked through some people to bring about that good thing. And if he did, you can and you should thank them. But ultimately, God gets the glory because he's the source of all that is good. And he's the one who granted his grace for that good thing to happen. If you do something that results in a good outcome, like Peter did or like Nate Bresky did, Give God all the glory. It's only by his grace that you were able to do that good thing. If you make a decision at work, okay, let's say you make a decision at work and it turns out to be very profitable for the company. 
give God all the glory for that. It was only by his grace that you were able to make that decision. If you intervene in a conflict and you help restore peace, give God all the glory. It was only by his grace that you were able to do that. Or if you tell someone about Jesus and they put their faith in him and become a follower, give God all the glory. It was only by his grace that you were able to do that and lead that person to him. No one is capable of doing anything good unless God grants him or her the grace to do it. That's what the Bible teaches. In John 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's, that's what he's talking about. Jesus is saying that no one can do anything good apart from the grace of God. That's why both the lame man and Peter gave God the glory for the good thing that happened that day. Now, we've talked a lot about what God did. We've talked about how God orchestrated the opportunity for something good to happen to this lame man. And we've talked about how God granted his grace so that something good could happen to this lame man. There's just one last question I want to answer before we close, and that's why? Why did God heal this lame man? Did God just want to do something nice for a poor fellow who had lived a hard life? Well, God's merciful and compassionate. So that may have been part of it. But I think there's another reason, a deeper reason why God healed this lame man. When Luke said that this man was leaping after he was healed, Luke used a rare word that's found in the Greek translation of Isaiah 35.6. Isaiah 35.6 is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. Isaiah said that people will know when the Messiah comes because the eyes of the blind shall be open, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. That's the word Luke used, the same word that was used there in Isaiah 35, 6. God had a plan to heal this man, and he orchestrated the opportunity for it to happen, and, and he granted the grace for it to happen because he wanted everyone to know that the Messiah had come. And in the rest of the chapter, Peter's going to explain to this crowd that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And he's going to explain that because Jesus Christ has come and because he's given his life on the cross, that forgiveness of sins can be found in him. So friends, that's why God healed this man. And that's why this story's in our Bible. God wants you to know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that forgiveness of sins is found in him. If you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've received the forgiveness of your sins, give God all the glory for that good thing that happened in your life. God orchestrated the opportunity for you to hear about Jesus and he gave you his grace to believe. But if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never turned from your sin and committed to following him as your Lord, I'd ask you, why don't you do that now? God just orchestrated an opportunity for you to hear the good news about Jesus Christ and how he came to save you from your sin. And by the grace of God, you can put your faith in him and you can experience the new life that he offers. If you want to experience that, put your faith in Christ today. And let someone know. We'll rejoice with you. And we'll give God all the glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning.
We thank you for being the source of all that is good in this world. We thank you for being the source of all that is good in our lives. We thank you for being a sovereign God who orchestrates opportunities to bring about the good that you have planned in this world. We thank you, Lord, for your grace because, Lord, we know that we don't deserve anything good from you, but you are gracious and you bring about good things in our lives. You bring about good things in this world. And, Lord, you even use us to help bring some of those things about. Lord, we thank you for, for your grace. Father, I thank you for Jesus, our Messiah. I thank you that he came. And I thank you that he gave himself as a sacrifice on the cross, dying in our place so that our sins could be forgiven. I thank you that he's risen from the dead and that he's alive today and that he will save all who call upon him. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So Lord, we give you all the glory for our salvation. We give you all the glory for the new life that we've experienced. And I pray, Lord God, that if there are any who have heard this message, who have not yet turned from their sin and put their faith in Jesus, that they would do it now and that they would experience the best thing ever, which is life eternal in Jesus Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen.